This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we have... I don't know, man. I feel like I got two guests with me today for crying out loud. It's been forever since me and Kyle have recorded together. I was just telling our actual guest, Mr. Bob Paskins from the great state of Oregon, that, um, you know, between Kyle having Jackson or his wife actually having their new baby Jackson (laughs) and then the subsequent plethora of health issues that seem to have plagued the Hauk family. Yeah, dude. like between that and my go. travel, well, my travel schedule too, man. Like That's my true. travel, I, I don't solely blame you for that. There were a lot of Mondays I was gone, and Correct. we try and only re- we try and only batch record on Mondays at this point. But you only turned fifty once, so yeah. you know I had to get all of that celebration out of the way, and, and certainly enjoyed the time down. But now it's time to get after it again, man. It's been. It's been good to be back in the agency, and it, it's been good to know that I don't have anything coming up anytime soon. Yeah, um, dude, you know, it travels I, a lot, man. It's it's a it's a lot of work. I told somebody, I have I, I hit ambassador with Marriott this year, which is their <laughs> highest status. I hit diamond with Delta this year, which is you know it's the highest status I'm aware of. They've probably got some secret handshake society that I that I haven't been indoctrinated into yet. But man, I feel every mile, every point, and every bone, muscle, and joint in my body. And, and the thing is, I didn't miss anything at home. That's why, right? Like that's why. When you look at people who travel a lot, a lot of the time they can do it. They can do it relatively gracefully because they're always missing something. And one of the things that I've always said, you know, when we started, even when I started having kids. I'm always going to be there, man. My number one goal in life is for my kids to be able to, to fill in the blank. And the blank is daddy was where was there when blank doesn't matter what it is. Could be ball practice, could be dance recital, any of that. I just want to make sure that I'm there and I'm present. That's what, that's what's got me hurting. And I don't say that because I want anybody to feel sorry for me. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. I'm just saying it ain't easy. It's not easy to get it all in. And so I'm just glad to know that um, I, you know, I, 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 the other thing too is wrote 
extra two minutes, wrote the dirty one thirty, got all of that out of the way, um, and then had a lot of speaking engagements come as a result of that. It's time to let the brand recharge a little bit, you know, come up with some new material, come up with some actual, you know, keynote type presentations instead of just workshop oriented or, you know, storytelling. Not that I didn't have a good time and not that we didn't get good feedback. It's just time to be off the road. It it really is. And I'm glad to be off the road because just so happens, I actually like my real job too. So (laughs) it's been good to be in the agency um, doing those things. So anyhow, enough about me. We have got repeat guests. This guy, you know, is kind of in the same space doing some of the same things that I'm doing, but I don't know that, you know, I wouldn't call him a competitor. I'd call him more of a collaborator than anything else because I happen to believe that there's plenty of room for all of us, you know, out there to help people get better. And it's my friend, Bob Paskins. And, um, you know, Bob works with producers. He works with agencies. He works with associations. So before we get into, you know, just meat of conversation and talk about what he's been up to, because it's probably been two years, maybe even three since since we recorded last, just to sort of get an update on where he's been. And then we're going to dive into it. So, Bob, why don't you sort of fill in the blanks a little bit? Yeah, you know, David, thanks for having me again. It's I feel honored to be a repeat guest here. Uh, so thank you very much for that. I, For me, yeah, I'll even see it for the personal side too. I do a lot of traveling and I think you hit it right on the head. I will, and you're probably the same way, beat myself up physically so I'm there for our family. So for example, my son was on the junior homecoming court at his school. It was the exact same week that I had an engagement out, but I made sure in this case, it made to take an off hour flight to be able to get back so it can be a part of his homecoming experience, which was a joy. And, you know, he still, (laughs) he still has the sash hanging above his bed. So you know how much that means to him to be able to do that, to be able to be with there. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, we'll, yeah, I'll beat up my own body just to be able to be back for myself. Well, there's nothing, nothing like that five o'clock flight in the morning that you got to be up at three o'clock to get the rental car back. Yeah. You know, oh, it's, it's just, it's horrible, but yeah. the smiles on faces are priceless, man. You know, yeah. the fact nothing will ever replace, replace that feeling you get when your kids sprint, sprint to you in the driveway, when you pull in. So right. it's 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 worth every bit of it. It doesn't mean that I don't want to sleep in a little bit on a Saturday morning every yeah. now and again. What's you know, that like? and, yeah. Well, and, and Kyle's got the worst of it right now because his his little guys are both. Nash just turned what three? Yeah, Nash three and a half, and Jackson is you know he'll be he's what he's like he's five he's my, five five months. Yeah, not even six months yet. Yeah. So. And yeah, I can remember, man. man, I can remember when I was, when, when Caroline, my youngest was born, I was 40 and it's like, dude, dude this, there's is why, no way. this is why people do this in their early to mid twenties. Tra- traditionally, I finally got a lease on board that we're done. I, I can't, can't do it, man. I don't have, I'm not built for it. I don't have the stamina. I'm fucking tired all the time. Yeah, it is. It's brutal, man. And you know, Bob, I, I know this about you. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but one of the, one of the common threads Bob and I share is we both have sons that have have some special needs that need to be attended to. And, you know, again, 
neither one of us is sharing that because we're looking for any sympathy or any any kind of you know somebody feeling sorry for us or and, and not to complain. I actually bring it up because I find it very interesting to me how many people I know that are very high performing, very successful at what they do, and they have a special needs child at home. And and that to me is an interesting dynamic because I feel like you, you put so much energy and effort into all of that. People never see what you deal with at home. You know, they can see what you allow them to see in, into your life through social. And some of us are more open than others, but they still will never see what you actually do deal with at home. And I remember one time, you know, we were at a parent teacher conference for Ethan and the teachers were. They were complaining about something. I don't remember what it was, but it was something with behavior and him staying focused and this, that, and the other. And, and I looked, I finally looked at him in the middle of the, the conference and said, I'm not sure what you're looking for from us, but what I want to help you understand that you're not seeing right now is the version of Ethan that you get every day is the best version. Mm -hmm. The version that we get at home is not the same version that you get. We get him in the mornings. Uh, when he gets up at five or six o'clock in the morning before he's had his medication and before it starts to kick in, which is a process to get him to be agreeable, to get dressed, to go to school and do all of the things that need to be done. And then we get him again in the evenings when you want us to do all this homework with him and all the meds have worn off and he can't yeah. concentrate and is being belligerent and, then too. And, and first and, of all, and by the way, when, when do we get to do anything fun with our kid? You know, right, right now I'm always the bad guy. I'm the one who's who's chewing him out for not getting dressed in time. I'm the one who's chewing him out for not doing his homework. I just want to throw ball with him in the backyard and yeah. call it a day, you know? And it, it it's just, it's interesting because I know for a fact that he lives in a much better place than what we live in every single day, no matter how that manifests itself outwardly in our home. <laughs> I just know that where wherever he's at, is way better than what we deal with. There's he doesn't have a care in the world, man. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm just interested, you know, I think about people like Carrie Wallace who we've had on the podcast who um who has a daughter who has some challenges that that she's Carrie's pretty open about and, and discusses um about having to to balance home and work life and travel and all of that. Chris Paradiso with his sister, you know, his dad you know, invested a lot of his time with his sister, Rachel. And then unfortunately his father passed away last year and Chris is now doing, you know, sort of stepping in and filling that role. And it's always interesting to me because you never hear these people complain. You never hear them ask anybody to feel bad for them. You just see them put their head down and get after it, you know? And so from my perspective, it's always cracks me up because one of the things when I get asked to go speak at the different conferences, Bob, is how do you sell in the hard market? What's the hard market like? You know, how do you prepare for this? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's just Wednesday in Florida to me. It's no different than any other time that I've been in this industry. Yes. But I do think that it weathers you, man. It weathers you for how to, and I don't know how much of this y'all deal with, you know, with your own family, but even going back to when Ethan was originally diagnosed, our issues were, 
I didn't know how to navigate the school system. I, that, that was something completely foreign to me. My wife, because of her occupation, knew exactly what needed to happen. And she knew that we needed to press to get answers from doctors and get formal diagnoses so that we could go and push forward and get him what he needed in terms of the resources for school. Like that was a really, really important thing. And so now that I, you know, on the back end of that, I see, oh my gosh, this makes all the sense in the world. But, you know, I just, I don't think, I don't use any of it as an excuse. I use it as a motivation for me. I channel all of it. Even the things, let's call it what it is, man. We're human, right? Are there times that I'm angry that this is the hand I've been dealt? Yeah, there are times that I question, why me? What did I do? Why am I the one? And then you realize that he was actually born to the perfect parents for the absolute perfect reason. Right. He literally, my wife has the advocacy. I will fight anybody anytime, you know? And so I've got the backbone, but I've never, I've never viewed it as an excuse. I've never viewed it as wanting people to feel bad for me. I literally just channel all of that, anything that could be considered negative into just wanting to go out and do that much more, uh, for, for being positive. And one of the things for us that we had to deal with this year as a transition was moving him into junior high. He he's out of elementary school into junior high. We've always had, it is brutal when you're normal. Like when you, you know, I, I dealt with this because we moved so much when I was growing up that I was always the new kid in school. And we moved literally right before junior high. And I moved right it's, you know, sort of at the beginning of my 11th grade year of high school, not uh, not optimal times to relocate to a new place. But what mm-hmm. doesn't kill you makes you stronger and it builds you into who you become later in life. And I wouldn't be able to have conversations with strangers at the level I do today if I wouldn't have moved every two to three years growing up. But, we you know, my wife has a lot of anxiety because kids in junior high aren't nice. I wasn't nice when I was. Nah, in dude. I, I remember total dicks. I was brutal. And so. I remember, uh, so so when we, you know, when we went over for him to go through his orientation and everything, it was actually very, very reassuring. He walks in, all these, all these boys are coming up, giving him high fives in the lunchroom. Ethan, we didn't know if you would be here or not. And they're all like, he's like the mayor of this place. And I'm thinking this isn't going to be so bad because what I what we missed was the fact that all of these kids had been with him growing up and they'd all been protecting him the whole time. Anyhow, what? and there, there wasn't a single person who had picked on him, bullied him. He's going to get it worse from his brothers and sisters at home than he's ever going to get it when he's at school. But it was kind of refreshing for us to see that. So all a lot of random thoughts, but that's kind of where my head is, people, in case you ever wondered. But seriously, Bob, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that you see a lot of people in the circles that you run in? Because I imagine that you, you know, you have friends who have a similar situation or, you know, one of the benefits of social media, honestly, has been the fact that you can get into some of these like Facebook groups and things. One of Ethan's diagnoses is a genesis of the corpus callosum, which is the sort of the superconductor of that connects the left and right side of your brain and his doesn't talk. So that can cause temper issues and everything else. There's literally Facebook groups as narrowly focused as 
children with agenesis of the corpus callosum born between 2011 and 2013. And you'll go in there and the things these parents are chronicling are exactly what you're dealing with at home. They're all dealing with the same exact behaviors and everything else. And I think that makes it a little bit easier to tolerate too. But I mean, what do you think it is, man? What do you think it is that is is it a superpower that we're given that once you're once you're dealing with what we deal with at home that you can go out and put 150 200% in at work and it still feels like you're on vacation. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think you're exactly right. So, you know, similar to you, we have that whole community as well and you touched on a number of points. I'll just kind of poke at a couple of them as we go through. I think the first one there is in a weird way, I look at work versus what I'm doing at home and start to ask, what is harder? And quite honestly, what is harder for me? And I love our son, Nate. He is fantastic. He has severe um, special needs, downtism, autism, uh, sensory, um, sensory, I'm spacing on the words, deficiencies. He can't eat. He's not potty trained. He can't speak. So that's Nate, and he's 14. So that's where he is. And honestly, David, this is going out there. Work to me is almost a relief from working with Nate. So not that I don't love him, and my wife is an amazing person here. But sometimes people come up and say, oh, man, it is so hard dealing with this hard market right now. And <laughs> One of the things I think is people who have children with special needs smile in the back of their minds and say, you think this is hard? Yeah. Yeah. Like your example, David, you've got to get your kids up and get medication and deal with them before that medication kicks in in the morning. For us with Nate um, is getting him to just kind of settle because he has a hard time sometimes settling and controlling himself in the evenings. What is that like? That is the hardest thing that I do every day. Uh, guaranteed, so. man. I mean, in in the thing is, I don't know, you know, what the structure of your family is. I have three other kids. I have my wife, Wait. and you have to ba- you have to be fair and yeah. balanced well, in how your well. time is spent. And I'll give you an example. Uh, my oldest son turned 21 last week and we took him out for dinner at a nice place here in Tampa. And Chuck we took the whole, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, except they changed the name to Ocean Prime. Um, so, but um, you know, we we take the whole family, and Ethan gets re- he short circuits like literally as we're walking in, he's getting ready to go on a tirade, and it's like this isn't fair to all the other people. This, you know, what? And so you have to become a master of diffusing the situation very very quickly too because if i can't get him back on the rails within a matter of seconds it ain't happening for a half hour or longer and so just even thinking about those little things and knowing how you have to work you know as a team with your spouse and even in some cases the other kids because they'll help distract him they're not always the most helpful sometimes they're the ones who trigger him but you know for the most part we have to work as a group to get him back because we know what life's going to be like otherwise. So anyhow, yeah. enough so, well, about all of that, man, enough well, about was, all of that. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, having to diffuse that situation, you, you got people asking you about a hard market, at, you know, diffusing oh, yeah, a situation no. with a, you know, with, with a potential uh, client is is nothing. You can get past yeah, objections. Not, yeah. I can't, you, yeah, you can't, you can't overcome an objection. Try talking my kid <laughs> yeah. into taking a shower at night. What's you know, it? that's. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, in the back of my mind, I laugh about that. What, what is hard? And that's kind of the original point, David, of. Why do we see so many of these people really excelling? Because they know how to do the hard stuff. And insurance sales, it's not always easy. Great. It's the hard stuff. I find the people who really excel are able to push past that, have that drive to continue to move on. Uh, one other thing there I would say is the other thing is you take a look at financially, you know, we're going to have to take care of Nate probably for the rest of our lives. And yes, I'm sure there might be some state or federal support that is able to come in. But I'm starting to take a look at what is the expense of this as well. And I hate to make this about money and it's not about money, but you have to also make sure that you are prepared in that particular way because, you know, when our kids, you know, we might help them with college, all of that. But once they get through that, they're kind of on their own. Nate's going to be with us probably for his entire life, which means, mm. okay, we're going to have to have that additional expense of being able to take care of that. So that's kind of the second point. And one more point, and then we'll move on, is the last thing that I think why people exceed with special needs children is they have empathy that others may not have, or a different type of empathy. I'm not going to say others don't have empathy. That's not true but there's a different they just have a they just have a difficult time accessing it sometimes bob maybe that's it <laughs> maybe that's it. but if you're able to have that level of empathy then you're able to reach out to buyers clients and really kind of dig in to what their specific needs trouble situations are and sometimes when i'll even say you know what's going on with my personal life because i try to be open, not overly open that I lead with it, but open, it brings up their additional needs or struggles on the business or family or other things. And that level of empathy is a great connector to be mm -hmm. able to uh, me move forward. So with that, those are kind of what my thoughts are when it comes to why do people with special needs or parents with special needs tend to excel in this environment? I will I will tell you, man, I, I agree with what you said about being able to connect too, because my patience has grown dramatically since Ethan has been in our life. Like it it's unrecognizable, honestly. Yeah. Right. Um and I do feel like that has allowed me to become a better listener and not force the envelope as much. Part of it may be just because I've also been doing, you know, doing this for 20 years at this point and I've gotten older, but I do feel like um, I tend to look at other people's perspectives more, be a little bit more open-minded, try and understand, you know, because at the end of the day, and I, I'm sure you'd agree with this um, in principle, 
before we ever begin to sell, we have to educate people, man. And that is a, that's a job that does require patience. I mean, I, I would never be able to be a school teacher. I mean, I probably could, but I wouldn't want to oh. because that's, that's a level of patience. I don't, Bro. I don't want to have to access on a daily right. basis. Right. I'm not interested in dealing with a bunch of people. I mean, and, and there, you know, God loves the people who do it. They should be paid way more money than oh, they're yeah. paid. Oh yeah. Um, they should they should be given anything that they want because they they definitely do it because they're passionate about it, they're empathetic about it. Um, I'm more along the lines of, I I just, I, I my my thought process is that if you want to change the world, have a bunch of kids and raise them the right way. Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to change the world. Um, I will not be able to go in and teach high school and fix a lot of other problems that happened because somebody wasn't there. You know what I mean? And so that being said, I think that it's given me more patience at the point of sale to educate and realize that a lot of the times, man, that when you're talking to somebody, it's easy to get frustrated thinking they're not understanding or a concept doesn't make sense when the reality is you're taking time to do something that your competition is not taking the time to do. They're going in, they're trying to get a deal done. They're going to sell a product. They're not going to cover all of the different things that they that the, the buyer needs to know and understand. And they're you know they're going to get them to sign and, and get policy uh, coverage put in force, get their commission, and then then they're off to the races. And uh-huh. they complain. Those those are the agents that complain that they've got a client that has a million questions after the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, their service burden is way too high. When in reality, they haven't done anything at all to educate this person and explain how the process works from the very beginning. So I do feel like I have gotten much better, at, at least in my mind, not automatically going to the first sarcastic thing that I would think of when somebody asks a question that might seem frivolous to me, but in reality, they're asking because they don't know the answer. So I feel like I've gotten more more patient that way. Um, but aside from that, I mean, you're you're last time we had Jan, we dressed you up in the Matrix outfit because you were talking about the the Matrix. But to, yes. you know, you've shifted a little bit. What does that look like now? Yeah, so I'm still doing basically what the Growth Matrix does is work with uh, business owners to do high-end strategy of that. And what I've discovered, I love doing that. Man, I sit down in those meetings. They're day-long meetings, and they go with the snap of the fingers because we get so much done as we look with the high-level strategy. But it's kind of funny. One of the things they kept coming back to is – You know, most of these agencies are trying to grow, which means they're looking to add producers. And at that point, that starts to be what a stumbling block is, where I've heard many of them say, man, I wish I have some sort of outside or additional support or training to provide to these producers that I want to be able to grow so I can either expand my business or extend it going forward and perpetuate myself. And With that, that's caused me to continue to do growth matrix, but also to pivot and to say, okay, I think I might be able to provide some additional support to that. So that's what happened. And recently I am finishing up a book called The 27 Insights to Catapult Sales. And basically what I'm looking to do, the the subline is turning ordinary insurance salespeople into extraordinary ones. Because... One of the things also that I'm seeing is 
hiring producers, and you've seen this, David, I know, is a very expensive proposition. Everything about it is expensive from, first of all, finding them, hiring them, taking that time, putting that money into it, realizing that you're probably putting some sort of a draw on them or you're paying them before the commission catches up to them. That piece is, is expensive. And then secondly, what I find is you will find owners who say, I've had this producer for three and a half years and they really haven't produced much, but man, I think they can do that. Next quarter, I have confidence <laughs> that they're going to turn this around. It's going to happen for them. You know, 2024 is going to be their year. And <laughs> I look at them and I think, well, what happened in 2022? Oh, they only wrote, you know, $10,000 of revenue. What happened in 2023? Oh, they only wrote $15,000 of revenue. Okay, so why are we looking to invest forward on this? Is it okay for me to do the training to either, you know, using an analogy, coach them up or honestly coach them out? Because if we're able to coach them out, then I can tell the business owner, great, this person just doesn't have it. And it's okay to let them go. And sometimes the business owners need to hear that, that this producer, ah, we've tried, we've given them all of this time and energy. It's just not going to work well. And it's okay to let them go. So you, that's kind you of know, what I, I, what I, I think, I, yeah, real, real quick. I, I think the thing that's interesting, it, it's an interesting caveat to all of this. 20 years, 30 years ago, 30 years ago now, when I was in my early 20s, I was as nasty as they came in. Like I was still full of testosterone. I just finished, you know, wrapped up. I just I had just found out I will not be playing baseball the rest of my life, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. but I would fire somebody just as quick as I looked at them. You know, if you showed uh -huh. up and you looked at me the wrong way, I would cut you loose with no problem today when you own everything, your name's on everything, and you have people who, quite frankly, and, and I want, listen, if you own an agency, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say. And it's going to make some of you upset and maybe even a little uncomfortable. And I hope it does, because that's exactly who needs to hear this, right? But when you own everything and you bring people into your organization they are taking just as much of a risk on you as you are taking in them. And it's extremely important that we never forget that because, you know, having a startup is not easy. Having the ebbs and flows of cash flow is not easy. When you bring other people into that, they have a choice. They've chosen to put their faith in you to make it work and to be successful so that ultimately all of us can be successful. And so I say that because I think that that has some, in some cases, made me more patient than I should be. Because now you've taken a chance on me. You're in the family. I want to honor my word to you. Because from from my perspective, my my integrity, and when I give somebody my word, ultimately seeing that through to completion, there's very few. There's nothing really that's more important to me in business than holding holding true to what I say I'm going to do. I don't always hit my deadlines, but I always get it done, you know, and I will always make sure I follow through on what I say I'm going to do, because I feel like that's one of the few things in life we can all control. You can you can control whether or not you do the right thing. I can. Kyle can. You can. All of us can. 
a lot of people just choose not to because that's the easier way to go, you know, so they deal with that. I don't. I take the harder way because I want to make sure that when I promise somebody something, they can't ever come back and say, nope, you, you told me you do this and you never delivered. Not going to do it. And so from that perspective, I think that I have been more patient with people in some instances than what I should. And I need to find that common ground somewhere in the middle um, at this point. You know, I feel like the team we have now is great. I have no complaints or issues about anybody at all that's with us, but for us to get to where we're at, we're still not completely optimized um, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, that's still going to take some time, but you know, we don't, we lack that. Sometimes we, we, we hire quick fire, quick. Sometimes we hire slow fire, slow. Sometimes we hire quick fire, slow. We just got to get it figured out as to exactly who it is and and what you want. But I, I do feel like when you're not working for somebody else, when you own everything, you tend to think about things through a different lens and it's not as easy because you realize it's, it's, it's more human than well, I think than corporate yeah. at that point. So let me ask this along those lines. Like when I, I think when you're the agency owner and you bring somebody in and you hire them and you are more patient with them because of just maybe different uh, emotional ties or whatever, that it can be hard to see that. Like how quickly Bob, are you able to identify like, okay, look, this, this this guy or girl just does not have it. Um, but I mean, like, talk about that for a minute. How how quickly are you able to see that? And that that that's where I was headed, and then I got off on that tangent. So I I am interested. I'm bringing you in, back. Yeah. How many times do you coach up versus coach out? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a majority of the time, I well, I'll say this. I'll take one step back, then I'll answer your question. I think the people right now who are committed for their people to help them out, want to find additional resources to be able to do so. So the good agency owners look to do that because when you, as an agency owner, look to bring in people, especially if they haven't sold insurance before, it is difficult because they might have to learn what the product is. They might have to learn how to specifically sell this product. They may not be used to a consultative sell, all of that. So most of the good ones look to bring in additional support and training to be able to help them out because they realize they don't have the time to be able to do that. And they are committed to the person, kind of what you said, David, you've invested in them. They've invested in you. Let's see what we can do to kind of bolster them up by providing the outside support. So that's kind of, uh, before I kind of get into it, that's kind of one of the things that I take a look at when it comes to the investment, especially going both ways. Now, Kyle, your question is excellent. What I look to do. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I look to do is in different stages. So the first stage is all about activity. I think that is kind of key. If you're bringing someone on initially, I would think within the first 90 days or six months, they may not sell all that much, but do they have the drive to go out and to do that actual activity? Mm -hmm. Activity that is you're reaching out for new connections, you know, phone, email, LinkedIn, associations, in-person events, all of that stuff. You're looking to try to get those meetings. If I can set up appointments that's great. I want to see that type of activity. At that point, in essence, I'm not concerned with the close ratio very early on Mm -hmm. because 
hopefully, you know, if I am someone new working for, say, David's agency, I'm like, Dave, I'm so excited. I got this new appointment. And then you might say, this is a terrific opportunity. Let's go close that together. And I can learn sitting next to David as we close out this opportunity. Mm-hmm. What I see people really falling early on is if they aren't doing the recent reach outs that they need to be able to do. And you should be able to find that out within the first three, if not six months, if that activity is there. Or maybe they start off great month one, month two, and then it just falls. At that point, that's kind of that little warning sign thinking, I'm not really sure that insurance is the right avenue for you. I think too, that's the one thing, and we've talked about this. We we talked about it more on Shop Talk back in the day, I think, but like the the cold calling and the marketing drops and picking up the phone and trying to create connections, that's the stuff that's just it's the stuff you can control and the stuff that's never gonna go away. All of these things that are kind of coming in with AI and uh automated marketing and and digital stuff, like those are all good, but as a supplement to the things that I just mentioned, right? Like they're not, you're not going to be in, at least in most cases, I'm sure there are some scenarios where some of this digital stuff and and AI can do it all for you and you may have some success, but by and large, for most people, it's not going to be that way. Like the one thing that you can control is the output and the activity, like you mentioned that you're doing on your end. And if somebody can do that, they can be successful. Like I, I agree. That's the foundation. Yeah. If they have that drive to be able to do that, that's a great thing because Mm -hmm. they have that drive. We can teach them about insurance. Right. We can teach them about, okay, this is what you do in this type of sales situation. But that drive needs to be there. And I think it's one of those things where you either have it or you don't. And Mm -hmm. you really can't teach that, in my opinion. Or it's, it's it's hard. It's very hard. Let me say it that way. It's very hard to teach someone who does not have drive to be able to get drive. Yeah, I agree. So that's what I'm. Looking yeah, for. it's not going to happen, man. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. So one other thing here, and then I'd love to, you know, again kick the can around a little bit longer. You have to be able to make sure that you are tracking. I have something which is basically called the monthly activity report, and that is something that you are tracking that activity for to see what they do. And hopefully things are moving through the sales cycle. Because what I also found is people can kind of BS you maybe month one, maybe month two on their activity. But if the activity is not progressing through the sales cycle, there is something wrong there. Either they are not providing you that good information. I'm not going to try to call say that they're misleading you on this, but the information isn't there completely or else there's something not right with them being able to early on take that next step. I think that if it's like something that's tracked where you, it's like, all right, you've got to have X amount of calls, X amount of meat, like those numbers get bullshitted for sure. Like oh, like my, my wife is a manager at ADP, we've talked about it yes. a million times. Yes. They've got to go into the office on every, you know, every single Friday, they're supposed right. to be making call. They don't do any of that. Like they're all just dicking around in the office and it's like, and they enter in all these numbers because that's where they have to be for the week. And it's just like, <laughs> that's not the, not the recipe for success, obviously, but. Right. Right. No, but I, yeah. do, I think it's interesting, Bob, though, honestly, the solution of tracking a, a behavior is so elementary yet so often not done. 
Like that's what blows my mind, man. And I think that some people feel like you have to have an expensive technology solution. You have to have a CRM. No, you don't. You don't have to have that. I mean, does it make it easier? Yeah. Are you able to automate things? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you just, number one, you just have to decide you're going to do it. And step two is do it. But that's, that's the, the trick. Like out of all the secret sauce that's out there, there really is no secret sauce, man. Mm-hmm. Monitor behaviors that you know are going to breed success in sales. It's really that simple. Don't know what those behaviors are? Okay, take some time and develop your process. Look at your process. Break it into stages. Break the sales cycle down so yes. that you know where you're gonna where you're gonna monitor. Right? Mm-hmm. When I talk across the country, there are agents in almost every state now that knows we have leads, suspects, prospects, a closed one and closed lost. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Right. I do I do that for a, a, a very basic reason. I'm a big dumb animal. I don't need to have a bunch of different stages in a pipeline That's, to follow. It's what? really, really simple for me to look at broad strokes. And if a conversion is not happening from one to another, now I know where to look. Yeah. Now we know where Exactly right. right. If, you, if you're not taking people from lead to suspect, I know you're not dialing. I know you're not doing marketing drops. If you are, you're not very good at them. Either right. way, I need there's to block something wrong in, There's something wrong in what you're saying. If yeah, that's I need to case. listen to your calls. I yeah. need to ride with you, whatever right. else. Yes. If you're not moving from suspect to prospect, I know you need help with value proposition. You need yep. to deliver the value proposition in such a way that people are going to be comfortable allowing you to do a vulnerability assessment on their cyber program or an experience mod audit for the workers comp or any of the number of other ways that we lead into accounts. But I, I can tell that. And if you're not getting from prospect to closed one, you ain't a closer. We need to work right. with you on closing. No reason for me to have 15 substages when I can keep it that simple, but we know what the behaviors are. I know that in order for you to move from lead to suspect, you have a certain number of cold call marketing visits you have to make, certain number of phone dials you have to make, a certain number of emails need to go out and follow up, certain number of marketing emails need to go out. It's never just one thing. The problem is in this, you know, I'm interested in what you see. I'm talking about from when I got into the industry to what I see every single day, A, agencies do not have a defined sales process. Number one, they don't have it. They don't have it broken down into stages. So there's nothing to even drill down on when things get weird. They don't have a training program that teaches producers how to sell. You have the old school guys that are going to go back and say, oh, yeah, I'll show you how to sell. Let me give you a book on selling. It's called The Yellow Pages. Boom. They give them the phone book and they go and they start calling people. Or you have the young generation. It's like, oh, we don't even need to talk to people. We're just going to put ads behind the landing page and we're going to do quote find issue, blah, 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 blah. Not saying that either one of them hasn't been successful to some degree, but what it's done is it's created a void for agencies to actually make their producers successful. Many times the number one producer in an agency is the agency principle. That that should never be the case, man. Like I'm, I'm looking very much forward to the day that I'm not the top producer in my agency. Right. Right. I don't care. My ego doesn't care about whether or not I'm the number one producer. doesn't, I don't need, I don't need that title anymore. And so I, I just find it ironic that, that, this stuff is really not that difficult, yet we don't do it. Why? Right. right. 
I, I think that's it. I think so many good things there. One of the best bosses that I had on day one said, he even told me, Bob, I make this amount of money. This is what my salary is. You know what my goal is? And it was a decent amount. My goal is for you to make more than me. Because now, obviously, he, of course, had ownership. He had all the shareholder, all of that stuff. But the whole point of it is exactly what you said. He did some selling, but the whole point was to train me up so I would be able to bring home more money than he was able to do. So I love that. And that's kind of sit to my day where I tell all the salespeople, great, this is what I want you to do. I want you to outlearn your boss and we can help you look to do that. But I agree with you there. I think you're right. I use a drum analogy. So a quick story that I have is, um, if I may, it just takes about three minutes. So oh, yeah, absolutely. As, uh, as a kid growing up, I was a classically trained percussionist. So great. I was in the back. I loved playing all of that stuff. And I could do the, you know, the snare, the bass, the, the vibes, the timpani, all of that. But as I started to grow up into high school, what I realized was that uh, I thought I was cool, but chicks did not dig the guy in the big bow tie in the tuxedo in the back dinging on the triangle. That was not it. They need so, more cowbell, Bob. I know. Oh, yeah. Not too many classic songs had the cowbell in them. But they. But to that point, what does have a cowbell? Okay, drum set, rock and roll. I'm going to move forward to that way. So when I started out, I thought, okay, this is great. And if you hand someone who hasn't drummed before on a drum set a pair of sticks and you ask them to start doing something, what are they going to do? They're going to bang everything all over the place, hit all the toms, hit all the cymbals, and it's just going to be a cacophony of no of noise, no structure to it at all. And when I started doing drum lessons to try to get better, you know what was always taught every single drum lesson? The structure. The very simple of we're starting out the exact same time. The bass drum's on one, on one, the snare is on two and four. They're boom, chick, boom, chick. Boom, chick. And when it comes down to that, that, in my opinion, what sales is. It's all about the boom, chick, boom, chick, boom, chick. What a lot of people who send their agents out and say, hey, go learn how to sell, what they are trying to, what they want them to do or what they think they're going to learn is all of the flair, all of the fills on the drums. But truthfully, if you want to be successful, it's all about getting back to the boom, chick. Boom, mm -hmm. doing the work of that we will add the fills later we will put all of that in later but we first have to go back to the fundamentals of selling and that is basically what activity are you doing i love what david said i'm the same way there you have five spots i have four spots in my sales air arena and we can determine there where are we not moving forward is it getting that first appointment? Is it the discovery prospect and moving it from a suspect to a prospect? Is it moving it from a prospect and pitching them into the client? That's what I'm going to focus on. All of the other flair, all of the other color stuff, it's fine, but let's not focus on that. Let's focus on- Most people aren't going to be able to do that anyways. Like, like, like most people are not going to be able to go out and learn a bunch of flair and apply it and be like, you know- a, a, a sales it's dog like hitch whatever. man it's like kevin yeah. james in hitch right, right? Totally. he's like 
Put your elbows to your waist right here. This that's is where right. you live. I don't want to see anything else. Yeah. Then all of a yeah. sudden he does the, you know, this, the spin and the click and everything is no, that's what I want to learn. This no, is your, you this is your second that. hitch reference today, by the way. Ooh. Oh yeah. No, one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. <laughs> but um, that was one of the no, biggest I'm, things I learned when I was selling office supplies is, is in, and um, it was like the biggest part of our day is we would come back and I, like people would give you their numbers on this little square paper how many businesses they saw, how many uh, conversations they had, how many de- how many decision makers they were having those conversations with and what their close ratio was and, and the total dollar value of sales. And it was just like both of you had just uh, mentioned there. It's, you know, if, if one thing is happening in the beginning, okay, they're not ice breaking. If, you know, if, if they're seeing, if they're seeing 40 businesses and only seeing three decision makers, all right, they're not ice breaking and their, their conversation somewhere in there is, is, is lacking something. They're skipping around in the pitch or whatever. But if they're seeing eight decision makers and they're only closing one of them, like our ratio was supposed to be more like a, if you saw six, you would close two type of situation. So if if there was a gap there, it was like, okay, they were either once we got down to the close, they were doing like a soft close and they weren't really dropping it like it was supposed to. They weren't closing them on a specific item um, or they just weren't the true decision maker. It was one of those two things. So you could find very easily where the issue was and then you go out and, and have them make the change. Um, and and so that that's something that I've tried to, that, that really stuck with me is probably one of the bigger things that I learned when I was there and, and um I, th- I think it's it's good for people to know that about their own process, but you've got to have a process first. Right. So there are numbers out there that HubSpot did. And I start out a lot of my sessions with this. It's 87, 10, and 3. So 87, obviously you add them up to the number. I always like to ask what it is. You get all sorts of funny answers on this. But to boil this down, 80% of businesses don't have a sales process in place. Right there. So practically nine out of 10 do not have a sales process. The next, the 10% have a sales process all the way through, but it's not followed. So, I mean, that's great. It's nice to have a sales process, but if there is no accountability to that sales process, what good is it? Mm -hmm. And then finally you have the three and the 3% are those successful agencies. The 3% are the people within those agencies that are doing it right. They have a sales process, it's being followed. And the results are those people in that 3% of the group out earn the rest of them 10 to one. Wow. You know what I think, man? I think that the other thing is agency principals think that by hiring producers, it's going to make them have to work less and make them able to long run. Well, yeah, but what, and that's where they missed the mark. They don't yeah. realize you actually have to end, groom, gotta, yeah. groom and build these people to, I, to get to that level. But I, I do think that's, that's part of what contributes to it is they just think, oh, well, I'm bringing these people in. I don't need to produce as much. And these people have no clue. So, you know, the agency principal or whoever, you know, that's supposed to be training these people needs to get after it. Meanwhile, the agency principal's thinking, ah, I got people out selling for me. I can afford to take off early and play golf today or do this or do that. And I just, I don't see it. You know, I don't, I don't see that part of it. I can tell you how much my agency suffered just from me being gone, doing things that were not like recreational. Mm-hmm. I was still building, building business in, in traveling and speaking and doing all of this. 
agency suffers when it doesn't get 100% of your attention, man. Just like your marriage suffers if you're not giving it 100% of your attention in your relationship with your kids. Like you've, you've got to invest more yeah. than just saying, hey, I'm willing to stroke a check to let this person come in and, and try. And that's it. I think that's kind of the key thing. Are you able to invest in this? Because I'm a business owner, you're a business owner. The thing is, yes, I still have selling, but I'm still operating the business, which means that what other operations things come across my desk, usually I have to take care of those. And yes, part of that is training other producers, but typically what I found is that is the one thing that gets continued pushed off to the side because you have your own clients which are coming in, you have your own big opportunities which are handed to you, which you wanna close. You have the operations, you know, the account manager, or a couple of them are leaving on uh, maternity leave. Okay, what does that mean? How does this fit in? And what continually gets pushed down is the training of newer producers. And that's where I would like to you know, continue to encourage um, the agency owners out there, make time at least at a minimum on a weekly basis with your agency producers. That is going to sit down, train, move them. Yeah. So here's the thing, man, we could go all afternoon and we're out of time. So okay. what I want to do is I'll reach out to you separate. Like when we get wrapped up with our batch recording today, I want to do like a, a mini series of shop talk with you where we do our Friday episode. That's like 20, 30 minutes an episode and okay. maybe hit on the different stages of the sales cycle or whatever, but run those for like three or four or five Fridays in a row coming up going into the first of the year to get agencies ready to 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 get after it for first quarter if if you're open to doing that. I'm I'm welcome to do that. I love it. As you said, and I'll close with this. The great thing about this is yes, we might be in the same spot, but I don't view you as a competitor. I never have. You're an ally to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rowing the same direction on the boat. And hundred percent. That's how I view it. So yes, I would totally be open to that. And Kyle awesome. come along. You ask excellent questions. I think <laughs> Well, he's had plenty of rest, so he should. Uh, um, yeah. But listen, how do they get a hold of you, Bob, before I let you run? Sure. Uh, best way to do it, you can visit my website. It's very simple. It's bobpaskins.com. Email is bob at bobpaskins.com. Uh, those are the best two spots. Awesome, man. Thanks cool. so much for your time today. Really appreciate you jumping on with us. And I'll reach out and we'll get those shop talks scheduled ASAP. I think we can go for quite a bit longer and really drive some value. So appreciate your friendship and appreciate your time today, bud. We'll talk soon. Glad to. Thanks guys. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the power producers podcast. You can follow killing commercial insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, the extra two minutes and our website, killingcommercial.com. 